Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, I'm Barnett Schenken, and you're listening to Sorry Partner. And welcome to Sorry Partner, a podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with Scottish champion Barnett Schenken about bridge heroes, icons and scandals. Plus, he shares his top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. How are you, Jocelyn? I'm fine, Catherine. How are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really good. Remember recently you were telling me how your partner was late for your game at Fast Pairs because they were getting a cup of tea? Yes. Yeah. I was terrified. Yes. This week, I don't know what was going through my head. I've got a regular game. It starts at quarter after the hour. I've played this game with this person for years. Suddenly, for some reason, I decide it starts at half past. We've registered for the game and everything. I go off. I'm making myself a cup of tea. It's all lovely. I'm thinking, this is great. I'm so relaxed. I get a phone call from her. She's apoplectic. She's she's worried something's the matter with me. You know, you are right. What's going on? I just, just suddenly, for no reason, completely different time in my head. Brilliant. Well, what happened? Oh, well, it was fine. I mean, we ended up playing with an, in another game. It was no big deal, but it was just so berserk. Absolutely berserk. So this is a regular game that you've played at quarter after. Yep. Yep. Online. Yep. And if you're not there when they start, you don't get to join late, even if you've registered. Yeah. Yep. No, we were just booted. Absolutely. But it it also reminded me years ago, because I think the only other time that I've been late for a game, I think, was a game that I played with you. And it was somewhere in the depths of California and I was meeting you at this club I think we were both coming from different spots and I'd looked up where to go and 
you know, whatever. Anyway, driving, 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 got myself hopelessly lost, trying to keep calm, knew I was late. And I think it was a bit of a big deal. It was a tournament. Just just beside myself when we arrived, I can still remember the expression on your face. And all I was saying to myself is, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And I'm sitting there and I got through it all. Like the director was quite nice. You, you'd sorted it out. Like you obviously figured out I wasn't far away. And so they, you know, delayed it a little bit and whatever. And I sat down and the minute they brought the boards and it was all good to go, I just burst into tears. It was so embarrassing. Mortifying. Yeah. I have no recollection of this ever happening. That is so scary. Oh, my goodness. Oh, well, I'm glad, really. I probably, (laughs) if I was cool, I wouldn't have reminded you of it. But yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's an awful, wow. awful feeling, but it, it is funny to me because just going back to you relaying how your partner was late for getting a cup of tea at a tournament, the stress I feel about being on time, I just cannot imagine just swanning on in because I was just doing something. You know, it's only been because I got the time wrong, I got lost, I, you know, <laughs> to actually yeah. choose to just, hmm, whatever. She's she's chillaxing. She's very chillaxed about uh, about some things. I drove with her yesterday. She not chillaxed when it comes to driving. <laughs> Drives like a maniac. The same person. So go figure. Hi, my name is Jeff. I've been a fan of Sorry Partner from day one. That's when my occasional teammate, Jocelyn, sent me the original email announcement about this new podcast. Jocelyn and Catherine have created something unique and useful. It's one thing to read about the world's top players, but it's an entirely different thing to hear pros talk about their favorite game. My primary takeaways are the pros' tips to maintaining, supporting, and elevating partnerships. I like hearing about who they'd want to have on their dream teams and why. And I appreciate their anecdotes insights into the world of professional bridge, off-the-wall snafus, and their thoughts on what it is that makes bridge such a great game. Creating these weekly insightful podcasts takes money, donations from listeners like you. So here's how you can help. Go to sorrypartner.com and click on the support the show tab on the top, which takes you to the secure Patreon page. And then give generously. So, Jocelyn, I've been taking a look in the mailbag and I have a couple of letters to share with you today. Should I read them to you? Well, I really hope that you will. Well, okay then, I will. Our first letter is from John in Boston and he writes, Do you ever play casual games on BBO? And do you ever run into obnoxious behaviour? Once in a while I am kicked out of a game with no warning, explanation or anything. This happened yesterday. I was declarer. We were in the correct contract and I was making the contract almost ready to claim. Then boom, I'm out looking at the home screen. Hmm, Guess what? He was annoyed. Didn't know what the score was. I'm sure this happens to people all the time. It's been a while since I've played in a casual game online. What about you? Yeah, I think this did happen to me. Of course, my memory is not great. But I do feel like a couple of times I used to do the pickup games with, you know, with strangers just going into a casual game and sitting Mm. down. Mm. I haven't I haven't been doing that lately. 
yeah at all i you know i i like to play with a partner with whom i have a system and so i just don't find it fun to do those pickup games but i do think stuff like that happened i think i remember somebody once cursed me out mm. and told me i was you know an idiot and then like followed me and kept sending me messages no way through the system about really? what a horrible idiot i was <gasps> i mean it was just it was it was nuts so yeah now there's abusive behavior people hide behind their anonymity i think mm. and just unleash their rage onto us poor unsuspecting online bridge players yeah did you report that person? I don't think I did. Mm. I think, yeah, I think I was just sort of like, okay, I'm going to log off and take a breather for a while. So that kind of thing really turns me off of playing those those games with people that I don't that I don't know. No, well, I think I've turned into a version of the worst kind because I play them very rarely, but I tend to play them with a regular partner, such as yourself or a couple of others. Maybe if we're trying to fill in some time before another game. Or something like that. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I think there's been a couple of times relatively recently where I might have been on, I think you and I did it once. We just like played three boards and then it's like, gotta go. And I've done that with other people too. So you never really settle into a comfortable, oh, let me rephrase. I never really settle into a comfortable game and then feel frustrated because people are not being gracious or it, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. But yeah, so it's, it's a bit of a cost. I mean, it's great to be able to just play in that way, but you can't really develop anything. No. And so it just doesn't feel very rewarding to me even mm. to do, to have a good board. It's just, it doesn't feel good. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and I have to say that I resort to those robot tournaments a lot more than I used to. Mm. <laughs> the robots have their own share of issues, but yeah, but at least you're playing the full tournament and you at least yeah, get to practice they don't your curse card at you. play and they don't curse at you, not yet. <laughs> Yeah. They don't drop you into the into the homepage. <laughs> I'm imagining the robots of the future kicking you out. Yeah, well, you idiot! Spelling it yeah. out letter by letter, like you know, yeah. like they're typing an ID. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. John. So you know, we feel for you, but um, maybe the solution is to find a regular game or two, and maybe stop taking your chances with strangers, which is unfortunate. But hey, yeah. And our next letter today, Jocelyn, is from our good friend Jim in the Chicago area. Jim writes, hi, Catherine and Jocelyn. I'm a little embarrassed to report this one, but since you give me so many laughs, I thought I would return the favor. This weekend, Dave and I were playing in an online regional. It was a two-session Gold Rush Pairs event. The start times were 12.15 and 3.45 p.m., Unfortunately, my pea brain had it ingrained that the second session started at 4.15pm and at 3.45 when Dave called and asked me why I was not online, I was taking my pre-bridge clear my head walk, happily listening to your podcast. Oh no, <laughs> oh I feel responsible. <laughs> yeah, well you should because he said we got kicked out of the second session but I ran home just in time to get into the single session event beginning at 4pm. We must live right because we scored 60.86% and won the event. Good job, Jim. To make it even better, I just received an email from the ACBL that said that there was a scoring error and they were increasing our award from 3.21 to 3.85 master points. Very nice. Very nice. 
we obviously don't play in the same high award events that your guests play in. <laughs> Perhaps the moral of the story is to listen to Sorry Partner and good things will happen to your bridge game. <laughs> well, at this rate, Jim, you won't be playing in the Gold Rush events for very much longer. So I imagine that soon we'll be seeing you playing in some of those big national events that our guests play in. <laughs> and we'll be able to say we knew you when. Ooh, yes. So if you have any fun stories about getting kicked out of a game when playing online, or perhaps being late to a game and having some unexpected consequences ensue, please send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us on Instagram or send us a voice message. And these links are in the show notes and on the website at sorrypartner.com, along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Barnett Schenken. And note, this episode comes with bonus audio for our Patreon supporters. Scottish champion Barnett Schenken was born into a bridge-playing family. He has won every major event in the UK, including the prestigious Sunday Times Pairs event, playing with Michael Rosenberg. He has represented Scotland, Britain, and the U.S. in international events and has won three U.S. national titles. He now concentrates on teaching bridge and writing about the game. We began by asking what he loves most about bridge. What I love most about Bridge is that I found something that I was able to do that I was better at. So growing up, I wasn't too good at school. And my brother, who's a professor, my mother used to talk about him all the time, our wonderful son, the professor. But when I got into my late teens and started to play Bridge, I found something that I could do that I was better than other people in my country. So that was developed all through my life, certainly through, through my teens and through my early 20s. While I was in the United Kingdom, I was always at the top of bridge. So this was something different from when I tried to play golf, and I tried and I tried and I spent a lot of time. But although I was a decent player, the good players were all better than me. But I know, I know you learned to play bridge when you were 11. What's the story behind that? Well, my father was a, a very good bridge player, an international bridge player. And in Scotland, they used to have what's called bridge congresses. The bridge congresses were tournaments held in the top hotels across Scotland. There was about four or five of them in a year. So my father would always take me and my mother, and we would go and stay in the top hotel, and the tournament would happen. And in the evening, they would all dress up, and the, the men wore tuxedos, the women wore cocktail dresses, they went into the restaurants, they had fine food, they played bridge, and afterwards they had parties that went on until maybe two o'clock in the morning. It looked fantastic. I said, this is something that I want to do when it's going to be my turn. So when I was 11, I was in a bookstore and I saw a book that said Howard Schenken Club. Now, my name was Schenken, so I said, well, maybe this is some distant relation of mine. So I bought the Howard Schenken Club 
That was my first ever bridge book. And then after that, I bought Card Play Technique by Nicol Gardner, and that, that with the cards, showed me how to play. And then I had to go around with my friends because no, I couldn't play bridge on my own. I was 11. So I went to my friends, and, and, and they learned how to play. And already by 13, after school, we used to come back to my house. We bought a set of bridge boards, and we would play 24 hands with myself and three friends. And after the hands, we'd put the cards back on the board, and we'd come back next week, and we'd play the same 24 boards, but in the opposite direction. So we were our own partners, basically. So this, this is how we started to play, 11, 12, 13. But then when I got to 14, uh, I became friendly with Victor Silverstone, who was quite a famous Scottish international player, who unfortunately just passed away last year. And Victor took me under his wing and his partner, Willie Coyle. They were the top pair from Scotland. And... Uh, I watched them play whenever they had a bridge match, which was quite often. And then I followed them to Oslo when they played for Great Britain. And I watched them play there. And I followed them to Stockholm. And I watched them play there. So I learned from watching the best players in the country. How old were you when you were following these players around? Were you a younger person? And and if that's the case, were you allowed to because you came from a family that understood the bridge community because your father was an expert? Or was it when you were maybe a young adult? Well, it was really when I was a young adult. Well, I was actually young, younger. When I was 14 or 15, I used to watch them play in Glasgow. I didn't have to travel and I would watch international matches that were played in Glasgow. But then when I was 19, I went to Oslo in Norway to watch and when I was 20, we went to Stockholm to watch. And I was watching them, and I was w- watching Garozzo in Stockholm. I followed him around. And I, I really learned from watching the top players. You used to play with Michael Rosenberg. How did that partnership get started? Well, that's a good question. I first met Michael at my school. Michael was a chess prodigy. And when Michael was 13, he was playing board one for the senior team. So that's when I first met him. And Michael started to play bridge when he was 18. And he formed a partnership with Gerald Haz, who is later, his later name was the Mad Dog. But that was Gerald Haz and Michael. And they played for Scotland internationally. So there was a big tournament in Monte Carlo took place in 1973. And... The prize money was about £40,000, which might have been like half a million dollars in currency today. And I asked Michael if he was interested to go and play with me. And we formed a team with Michael, myself, and Robert Sheehan, who's a top player from England, and his partner was Andrew Thompson. And we had like a client sponsor who said he'll pick up the entry fees so we don't we didn't have any money anyway, but he would pay all the entry fees or significant entry fees. So we went across to Monte Carlo and we played in this team's tournament. And first they were qualifying to get eight teams to play in the knockouts. First two teams qualify and your section qualify for the knockouts. There's four sections. So our team finished first in section A and we were to play the second in section B. And who turned out to be second in Section B but the blue team? Garozzo, Belladonna, 
4K and Averelli. So that's who we got. We finished second in their section. So we sat down in Monte Carlo Casino, the old casino in Monte Carlo, an amazing setting. There's like hundreds of people milling around that wanted to watch us play the blue team. The 32 board match. Well, after 16 boards, we were ahead by 15 imps against the blue team. Now, the blue team, Belladonna, won 14 world championships. Garozzo had won 13 world championships. 4K had won 11 world championships. And the lineup was when the first set was Belladonna and Garozzo and 4K Averelli, which was not their old partnerships. That was our new partnerships. Well, at half time, they paid us a terrific compliment. Because we were beating them in this match with all this prize money that they wanted to win, they said, wait, wait here, guys. Well, we've got to go back to our old partnership. So Belladonna played with Averelli, Garozzo played with Forky, and I don't need to tell you that they managed to win the match against us uh, at the end of the day. Uh, it would have been great if you had beaten them, no matter what configuration they decided on. <laughs> <laughs> so the funny thing was, Michael was only 19, I think, at the time. So anyway, we were staying in a hotel called the Metropole Hotel in Monte Carlo, and we had a, a suite with adjoining rooms, right? Two rooms with a door. And we went back into our room, and Michael was really angry. He said, how could you let these four old men beat us, he said, and they slammed the door. <laughs> Did he not know who they I'm were? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he knew. So anyway, that was how we started. So from that point in time, we decided we'd play together. We played internationally for Scotland. And in a period of two years, we won a lot of tournaments. And as a result of winning a lot of tournaments, we were invited to play in the biggest tournament possibly worldwide, an invitational. It's called the Sunday Times in London. And it was a real it was an honor to play in the Sunday Times. I, I used to go down and watch it every year for five for about five years running. I used to go down to London, watch the Sunday Times. So now we were invited to play. We were the youngest pair ever to play. I had to go to Savile Row and bought a red smoking jacket to play in. And Michael had to buy a black tuxedo to play in. And we played in a tournament and then we were announced as the youngest pair and everybody was announced and hundreds of people were watching. Omar Sharif was there. And at the end of the day, somebody had said, one of the, had unkindly said, oh, Michael and Barnett have no chance. They're sure to finish bottom. Well, instead of finishing bottom, we finished top. So we, that was one event that we, we won that event. And as a result of winning that event, we were invited to go to the United States to play in the bicentennial celebrations. We would be the Redcoats, and we would play the team of the Patriots, which was Edgar Kaplan and Norman Kay and Bobby Goldman, a top team from America, Jordan and Robinson. And it was great. We had a great fun. The whole thing was fun, and Michael loved it. And as a result of that, he decided the year after to go and live in the United States. And that was our partnership going. <laughs> oh, what do you think Michael would say was your particular strength in the partnership? Probably calmness. Calmness. 
not worrying too much. Focus. I like to just play and, and concentrate and just try and make as few mistakes as possible. Do you have any tips for our listeners about how to find that focus or concentration? Well, I know some players like to say the card that's played into themselves as it's played. I don't do that, but I know some people like to do that. If they see the two of spades being played, they say mentally into themselves the two of spades and they think this that this helps. But it's really just you have to shut everything out around the table. I mean, there's a famous story. I don't know whether you ever heard it about Terence Reese. Yeah, we know that one. <laughs> yes. Wasn't he playing and a naked naked lady was at the table yeah, or walked past that, and he's claimed not to see? There was, there was a bet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's a story, yeah. right? You know that story. Okay. Yeah. But it's a, it's a good one if it's true. Let's pretend <laughs> it is. <laughs> I'm thinking about, again, playing with Michael. What might he have said were some weaker areas of your game? So I was like five or six years older, five, about four and a half years older than Michael. And Michael was just coming through in these days, and I was kind of like the established player. So I'm not sure about what weaknesses or if either of us has specific weaknesses. I always like to think that on defence, I'm as good at defence as as the rest of my game. Maybe defence is the best part of my game, I don't know. I've learned a lot in time and I've learned things like judgment. As you get older, you learn judgment and what to do in certain situations. That comes with with age and experience. So if defence was your strength, was there any area that you felt less comfortable in, whether it be declaring being the dummy, <laughs> bidding. <laughs> well, we always strive to get our bidding. We were working. The bidding, they didn't have certain systems in these days, but we worked harder at, at bidding. We we played that in these days, the Flint Painter system, which was Jeremy Flint and Peter Painter came to America and Flint became a life master in two weeks, I think, touring. And we took up and we copied their system. And we had a 100-page system. We had a pretty good system. You can't become an international bridge player but without being good at every aspect of the game. Yeah, of course. Of course. So can you tell us a little bit about how you became a bridge professional? I understand that you were in the rug importing business and you basically gave that up to be a bridge professional full-time? Well, what happened is that when I was 20, I went into the family business. My father was a rug importer, as well as, as well as loving to play bridge. We imported rugs, and I used to go around the world buying rugs, and then we would sell them in the United Kingdom. We were a distributor, not a retail store. We distributed all around the United Kingdom. Now, I was able to combine bridge because of the family interest they let me go and play tournaments around the world. So when I wasn't, often when I wasn't doing rug business abroad, I was playing bridge abroad. So I was able to do the two things. And finally, when I got to be 48 years old, I'd had a, a bit fed up of traveling to China three or four times a year and getting jet lag when you come back. Sometimes it took 10 days to get over the jet lag. And I did this four times a year. 
And I said, well, maybe I would like to do something else. And, and my bridge had gone quiet because I'd, I'd almost run out of possible partners in Scotland. So if I wanted to play bridge, I really would have to go somewhere else. So I decided, well, let's put the rugs aside and let's go to America. I got a, an American visa to come and live in America through the arts. Bridge was treated as an art. I had letters from many people in America and around the world that gave me letters that I put up to the American embassy in order to, to get my visa for my wife and I to leave Scotland and to go to America. And so that's how I got in and that's how I started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. In addition to being an expert player, you're also a bridge author. Can you tell us a little about why you were inspired to write your most recent book, which is called Heroes, Icons, and Scandals? Well, my father was the chairman of the British Bridge League, and for, a num for many years he was involved in the committees there. When he passed, he left a file that I came across, and inside that file was original notes and an original manuscripts from 1965 with Reese and Shapiro. Wow. And it was, it was to do with actually what happened in Buenos Aires in 1965, the notes that were taken, and in the further reports, the Foster report, which Sir John Foster, for a year, he had a tribunal to investigate the allegations. Now, it's quite interesting. Nobody actually knows that Sir John Foster was actually the lawyer for General Eisenhower before the D-Day landings. He actually had to go over the legal aspects of everything that was being done, so it's quite interesting. Uh, he wasn't a great bridge player, but he was a very intelligent and clever guy, actually, and he even advised Winston Churchill on one or two occasions as well. So I found these documents and... Uh, I said, well, maybe I'll just add to the story because I also knew some of the people personally 
And uh, I made also made all these documents available for people to look at if they'd like to look at these documents. And that led me on, when I put this in, it led me on to look into some other things that I looked at, which were other things in Inbridge that happened in 2015, 2016, when, when there were other allegations. And I researched into it and I found some information that people just didn't know about. And I've written about that as well. That's only a very small part of the book. The main part is really covering what we've been talking about, the great players, the great tournaments, the world championships, the stars. And so people can find out about where to get those documents in the book, obviously. Great. Right. And we'll link to information about that in the show notes. Who is the most fascinating person you've ever come across at Bridge? Probably the most fascinating person has been Omar Sharif, who I first met in 1976 at at the Sunday Times in London. And uh, I met him a few times after. And in 1989, I went to The Hague, where we played in the big invitational tournament. Omar was there. And I played with my very good friend, Irving Rose, who was a great guy also from Scotland and a great, terrific bridge player. And Irving was a very good friend of of Omar's. So Omar turned around to Irving and, and I and said, after the game, why don't you join us for dinner? So the game, though, finished at 11.30. It was a, a very posh hotel called Hotel des Indies in The Hague. So... After the game, normally everything would be closed, but with Omar, of course, had gone to the hotel and said, I've got some friends coming and I would like you to keep the restaurant open. So we all toddled in to the restaurant about quarter to 12 after the game and we had a sumptuous food. There was about eight of us round the table and, of course, the best wine. Omar only would have the best wine. And we did this for the three nights of the tournament it was it was amazing. I mean, I, 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 having your own table, your own st- waiter staff, and wine, and and we stayed there till maybe one thirty in the morning. Actually, Irving and I finished third in this tournament, which was pretty good. We won a decent a decent cash prize. But even more interesting, in a surprise meeting with Omar, was I was still in the rug business at this time, and we used to go to. Hanover, where there was a big rug exhibition, carpet and rug exhibition. So Maggie and I went to the Intercontinental Hotel in Hanover, where we were staying. We got to the hotel, we checked in, and we just changed. We're going to come down for dinner. And we walked down to the bar. And who did we see sitting at the bar but Omar? He's sitting there. He's got a drink. He's at the bar. He turns around. He says, oh, Barnett, he says, Come and join me. Come and sit down. Join me for a drink. So Maggie and I go over to to Omar. We have drinks. He says, what are you doing here? He says, is there a tournament? I said, no, no, I'm here for the rug exhibition. <laughs> what are you doing, Omar? He says, oh, I'm here for the rug exhibition too, he said. No. He says, I've got, I'm representing Oriental Weavers, he said, at the rug exhibition. 
I hope to see you there," he said. But first, let me see. I was I was watching the World Championships just being played, the Olympiad. Let me see. Let me show you what your old partner Michael Rosenberg did on this hand. And he produced a napkin and he started to scribble down this. And he said, "Could you believe that Michael did this?" Omar said to me. <laughs> so, so this was all very funny. So I don't have to tell you that the next day we went into the rug exhibition. And sure enough, Omar was there on the stand. And I went onto the stand and they had some rugs that I thought that a company might be interested. They were imitation nomadic style rugs. They were called Gabay. I don't know if you know anything about rugs, but these were like nomadic style. But they were made, the machine made. I said, we, we might be interested in that. So Omar had taken me over to the sales manager and he says, why don't you come to Cairo? come to the factory and look at them. So I said, okay. So about a month later, I flew into Cairo and we went to the factory and I saw the rugs and I said, well, we'll do a trial order. So we did a trial order and they went, they were very successful. So that was the start of three or four years of importing. I brought these rugs in and, and they went down well, the whole UK market. It's funny how the world goes round, huh? (laughs) That is so funny. It's like worlds colliding. And then, you know, would you have even, would you have seen those particular rugs at the convention if it hadn't been for their connection to Omar? Probably not. It's it's the one and only time I've ever been to Cairo. I got to see the Sphinx. I got to see the pyramids. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Fantastic. Earlier, you mentioned that Michael Rosenberg was playing in London with someone named Mad Doc. Can you tell us about Mad Doc? I certainly can. His real name was Gerald Haz. Gerald Haz was an extrovert personality. He was a doctor. He actually specialised in, in blood in blood diseases, etc. And he, that's what he worked with. But at the bridge table, he was known as Mad Doc because of his unusual things that he might do at the table. Some of them might work and some of them might not work. (laughs) Just to give you an idea, one time in the Gold Cup, we were 52 imps down with eight to play and the mad dog held ace, queen to seven hearts and king to three diamonds and they opened one diamond. Now, You might think this is totally crazy. Well, everybody would think it is totally crazy. But the ultimate upshot of it was that they made the wrong lead. They got to slam. They made the wrong lead. We got 14 14 imps on the board. And we were no longer 52 imps down with eight boards to play. And I've written about this story. It's there to, to be read. And a very exciting story. So this is one reason he was called the Mad Doc, but there's a lot of other things. He came to stay with us in Miami, and he stayed with my wife, Maggie, and we went down to play in Miami in the American Nationals, the mixed teams, and the lineup was Maggie and myself and the Doc playing with our friend Michelle. So we played in the mixed... It was a point-aboard mixed teams. I don't know if you know this tournament. And we went to score up. And we came to this board and it said, we lost 1,100. That was Maggie and I had lost 1,100. We're playing week, no Trump, and we were doubled. And the doc looked at that. He looked at this 
1100, he said. You opened a one no Trump, a week no Trump, and he, he said to my wife, you had a five-card suit. You wouldn't take it out. And he had red hair and a red face, and the steam was coming out of his ears. Right? So at the time, <laughs> you could see it was literally steaming, and his voice was raised, you see. And my wife, Maggie, was very upset, as you would be. So the ultimate upshot was we'd finished up the scoring and said, well, let's go to the bar for a drink. But Maggie said, no, I'm going home. So Maggie went away and about 12 o'clock at night or half past 11, and I went to the bar with Gerald and, the, and Michelle, and we drank for about an hour, two o'clock, and we came home just after three o'clock in the morning, half past three, I think, in the morning, and we came to our house, and we saw that Maggie was sitting in the garage, in our garage, outside our house, and she hadn't got into the house. See, what had happened was, the day before she'd given her house keys to Gerald, and the door in the door in from the garage into the house that we keep unlocked, he carefully locked it the way into the house so that nobody could get into the house now, you see. So she was left sitting outside of the car till half past three in the morning. Oh, no. So <laughs> this is quite a funny story about him. Anyway, the upshot, he, he was a doctor and he always helped people uh, with any medical complaint. We got together for the tournament to play for Scotland at the Commonwealth Bridge Championships in Broad Beach. It was only maybe about three years ago. And, and he'd mellow, he'd got older and he'd mellowed a lot. He was much calmer and it was more pleasant to play with. And we actually finished third, so it was, it was quite a reasonable thing to do. And uh, we enjoyed our trip. We went to Australia, we all toured, we went to New Zealand. He was... He was actually in New Zealand when we met, met up with him and his partner in New Zealand, and we had a good time. So at the end of the day, he was a really nice guy, but at the bridge table in his younger days, he was combustious. I don't know if that's the right adjective. <laughs> well, we know what you mean. <laughs> What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you when you've been playing bridge? Well, a couple of things. Once recently. I told you the story, I think, of how I met Benito Garozzo. And when Maggie and I moved across to America, my next-born neighbour was Billy Eisenberg, Broadway Billy, his, his name was. And he said, Barney, you have to go up to Benito's and play, play rubber bridge there. So I, I went up to Benito's, and Benito lived in a penthouse apartment, Palm Beach. And I went up and overlooked the ocean playing bridge, it was a most wonderful experience. And it, Benito's life partner was Lee Dupont, and she made wonderful Italian dishes. So I became a good friend of Benito's. And unfortunately, when Lee passed, Benito went back to Rome. Now, Benito is now, I think, 95 years old. So during when COVID was going and, and everyone was playing bridge online, I got a phone call, like a message from one of my friends online and said, Barnett, I need someone to play with Benito. Could you play with them? I said, yeah, the great man, Benito, one of the best bridge players online. Of course I would. Oh, if it's experience play with Benito, I know he's 90, 94, 95, but I'll play with them. So I played with Benito. We had a good game. 
and he and I got a message from my friend the next day. Benito really enjoyed playing with you. Could you play with him again the next day? <laughs> I said, okay, I'll play with him the next day. You see, so I play with Benito, and everything's going fine until I open one no trump, and Benito bids two diamonds, and it goes two spades. And I've got ace, queen, jack, 10 to six diamonds and like 15 high card points. So I say pass, and it goes pass. I mean, Nito bets three diamonds. So he means that as a transfer to hearts. But I had ace, queen, jack, 10, six diamonds. So it went pass, and I said pass, and it went pass. And nothing happened. And then it says, Benito was asked for an undo. Everybody, <laughs> no, undo. Undo, everybody's got to undo. So undo. So after a couple, everybody's undoed and it goes back again. And Benito bids three diamonds again because he knows that I pass. He's, well, he's giving me a second chance to bid three hearts. <laughs> <laughs> right? He didn't just bid the three hearts. That's what he was going to do. So he bid three diamonds and passed. And rightly or wrongly, I had six diamonds to ace, queen, jack, ten. I only had two hearts. I passed again. <laughs> the next minute it's disconnected Benito's disconnected oh. so we wait, we wait, we wait there's no Benito, what's happened to the Benito? So after about five minutes my friend organises the games this must be a Jimmy Kane game I think this was a Jimmy, might have been a Jimmy Kane game anyway, my friend I think phoned up Benito, says you have to come back and play and finish the game so Benito comes back on anyway and he plays in three diamonds, and it was one down, right? And three arts was going one down anyway, so it's all the same. So we finished the game, and needless to say, I wasn't invited to play with Benito a third time. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> you must accept the transfer. <laughs> but as he said, he's still my friend. He's, he's still my <laughs> I wrote a chapter on Benito. And I sent it to Benito to read. And he says, oh, Barney, that's great. He said, thank you very much, he said. But you must tell them that I'm 95 years of age and I play bridge online every single day of my life, he said. <laughs> that's so great. That is wonderful. So if you could assemble your dream team, living, dead, fictional character, who would it be? Well, I think the first person then would be Giorgio Belladonna. Belladonna may be the best player of all time. There's a few people now that is one of the, he's a candidate, certainly charismatic. I don't know if you've ever seen his picture. He came to my house in Glasgow and we chatted. My father, we got him a glass of wine. It was like 11 o'clock after bridge game. Yeah, a nice glass of Italian red. And he turned around and he looked and he said, I never drink on an empty stomach, he said. And my poor mother had to rush into the kitchen to go and make sandwiches for him. So that was Giorgio. So Giorgio was such a charismatic and brilliant player. Imagination. The thing about bridge players is you can have a lot of good bridge players. Very few bridge players have got imagination. Even the top experts, they don't carry imagination. I mean, people like Zia, imaginative bridge player. So... Giorgio is an imaginative, was an imaginative bridge player. Benito 
is not so imaginative. He just doesn't make mistakes. He just plays straight. If, and if you go off the wooden path like I did with him for this this last story, then he doesn't like that. He, I used to play rubber bridge with him, and you had to do everything his way. You had to, you had to bid his way, and it had to be Benito's way, not imagine, not imagination. Wow. How about Benito with the dock, with bad dock? That would not be a great <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I would pay, pay to see that. I think that would <laughs> I certainly would pay that. So yeah, we've got Giorgio, and then you know, I put Omar in the team also because Omar, he brings crowds 10 deep. You're all crowding around the, around the table, makes the whole thing more exciting. So uh, Omar's there. I put Zia in. Zia's such a good player, excellent. And Zia, he knows all the best restaurants. <laughs> he goes, we've got wine. Zia knows all these things, you see. So Zia has to be in the team as well. So that's that, these guys have all got to be in the team. That's great. Do you have a favourite conventional gadget that you really love to play? Well... I'm not sure if it's censored or not in this program, but I, I since nineteen early nineteen seventies, I've played the multi two diamonds, which is <laughs> a, a rather complicated, right? But for a serious student of the game, it's worth studying all the different complexities of. It. I play it as a weak two bid or a strong four by one, seventeen points plus. Because a strong four four by one is a very difficult hand to get across. If you've got four 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 one and say twenty high card points or twenty one high card points, how are you going to start bidding this? It's horrible. So it's very difficult. But if you put the effort in, in in my system, we can show the hand how many points you've got, how many aces and kings you've got. But it takes a lot of effort, a lot of studying. Recently, I saw a system which might be easier for people who are listening in and that was a, a system that that the world champions play and the system was when they open a preempt like three of a major and you overcall three no trump it's very difficult to know how to continue they open three spades saying your partner overcalls three no trump now that three no trump it could be based on high card points. It could be based on a stopper and a long minor. You don't know for sure where you're going. This is a very hard thing. So this new system that I saw is that you transfer, but it's not straightforward transfers. You bid two under transfers. So if you've got hearts, you bid four clubs. If you've got spades, you bid four diamonds. Okay? Now, this means there's a, sp a space in between. So if partner's got a fit for you, he can bid the space in between and ask you about your key cards. Now you know where you're going. If partner doesn't have a fit for you, let's say partner had bid this three no trump and ace, king, queen, jack to seven and a minor and a stop in spades. Now he would just bid four no trump. I've heard you want me to transfer, but I'm not interested. So this is a nice convention that I didn't know about. I only actually learned about it by watching BBO in the World Championships and seeing these guys do this. And I said, oh, that looks a good idea. I think I'm going to do that. And when I went to the playing the European Championships in Madeira in the summer, I saw these guys and said, oh, that's a nice little method you do. I've copied you. And they said, oh, so they play it and their teammates play it. 
it's not widely known. So this is quite a nice little tip for anyone who's listening because they probably haven't, likelihood is they've never heard of this. If I haven't heard of it, most people won't have heard of it. Does it have a name? No. It's two under transfers. Two under transfers. Thinking about conventions or gadgets that either do or don't have a name, are there any that you particularly don't like? One I don't particularly like, I'll tell you what I don't like. And I, th- I remember the name because people keep asking if I play it. It's called Spiral. We play it. <laughs> okay. So it goes like one one dime and one spade, two spades, two no trump. Ask about your two spade bit. Mm-hmm. And the responses to that are minimum three, maximum three, minimum four, maximum four, something like that. Responses. Yep. Right. Well, that's very wooden. It doesn't let a bridge player tell you really about his hand. So let's say the person's open one diamond and you've bid one spade, two spades, two no trump. What I like to bid, three clubs says, I've got four clubs here. I've got four clubs, probably five diamonds. I'm likely to have three spades and a single heart. It could be that we're better to play in diamonds or clubs. So I'm bringing another suit into the party. Three diamonds would mean I don't have four spades with you, but I have five diamonds. Three hearts would mean I've heard you've got spades, but I've actually got hearts in my hand. I've got five diamonds, I've got three clubs, and I've got a single spade. So you're telling your partner what you have, your distribution. Now, if you've bid four clubs, that would mean you had a four-card support and a splinter. If you bid three spades, it would mean your minimum with four spades, which is natural. And if you bid four spades, that means your maximum with four spades. So... In my opinion, you're getting more across to your partner with these different bids. It's not wooden. I I always like to say bridge is not a game of rules that you have to do. This is what I've been taught. I must follow these rules. And And I've heard actually my friend Michael also do a podcast, and he says one of the worst things to get a bridge player to improve is he's got to unlearn all the things that he's been taught at the beginning because many of these things have just been taught for beginners to start playing. And as you get better in your game, these things either don't apply to better players or are are just wrong for other players. I have done quite a lot of coaching. And one thing I always see is never say never. You can only say Never be unethical. Never be nasty. But as far as anything during the game of bridge is concerned, you can't even say never trump your partner's ace because sometimes it might be right to trump your partner's ace. You need to trump your partner's ace because you're going to switch to the only card to beat the contract. And if you don't trump your partner's ace, you're never going to come in to, to, to make that switch. So never say never. I don't know the number of times I've said that What's the best bridge tip or advice that you've ever been given or that you can share with our listeners? Okay, so the tip that I always give to my students is that you shouldn't draw trump until you see where your tricks are coming from to make your contract because you might need these trumps. You might need them for communication. You might need them for roughing. There's various things that you may need them for. So you shouldn't rush into drawing Trump. When you see your contract is definitely going to be made by drawing these Trump, then that's fine. But otherwise, it's often a good idea to leave the Trumps outstanding. 
Barnett, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you so much. It's really been a treat. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kathleen and Jocelyn. You too. I hope to see you again sometime, and I hope this is going to go well for you. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Barnett Schenken. Thank you also to our sorry partner, Posse, of listener supporters who make the show possible. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Paul Chirasso and Jade Gray. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. You'll get a monthly newsletter, bonus audio from time to time, and other supporter benefits. These links and a link to our discount offers and merch store are under the episode description in your app on the website at sorrypartner.com or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Barnett says, don't draw Trump until you know where your tricks are coming from because you might need them to make your contract. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.